0: We had a, in the first service we had uh, four kids from the same family baptized, and if you want to look at their videos as well, you can go on our uh, go on our site. I think it's going to be a link there. If not, go to go to YouTube, Great Oaks Community Church, and uh, there's always stuff there as well. It'll be up soon. We don't know exactly when, but probably this week sometime. Uh, they'll be up there as well. Some great. Uh, it was a lot of fun uh, as first service as well. It's always great to see these uh, these folks uh, make next steps in Christ. Um, the thing that we want to be aware of, and I think that you got it from these testimonies, but also from probably uh, if you watch the ones from the first service as well, is that it's not just about uh, getting your ticket punched to heaven. You know, that's not the purpose of being baptized or following Christ. That is a benefit, okay? But the purpose is that we would have a relationship with Christ that would last for eternity. And it starts the moment that you say yes to Christ. Your eternity starts then, not when you die and go to heaven, Okay. And, and because of that, God has a greater plan. We've been talking about that for our lives, a, a plan bigger than you and I could possibly, possibly, even possibly imagine. And so we're going to be talking about that a little bit further today. And the next week, we'll finish up the series. And um, in a couple of weeks, we're going to start a new series, the 1st of February, a series uh, called Scriptural Life that deals with some of the uh, things that, you know, I've been teaching the Bible for, gosh, a thousand years. No, um, I, I've, been a, I've been a minister for 36 years. And and uh, the thing is, is taught the Bible and, and, and went to seminary and learned Scripture. And, but it was something this, this past November when we went, my wife and I went to the Holy Land and encountered some things there that we saw firsthand that brought some Scripture alive to us in a sense. And so we said, that's going to be a great sermon series. So that's what it's going to be about uh, the month of February and March leading up to Easter. And I uh, hope that you uh, make, make uh, every effort to be here for those as well. Uh, maybe some testimony from other folks as well who've been to that place and it just uh, God impacted them in some ways. So this morning, though, we want to continue on our journey as we've been looking at the the prophet Elisha. Elisha is found over in uh, first introduced in First Kings, and then he really the ministry of Elisha is in Second Kings chapters one and following. And we're in chapter four today, so you can kind of scroll through your. Whatever you do, the Bible with I don't know. Now it used to say Bible, and now you know not many people use this as much, and it's just fine because I, I read the Bible on my iPad all the time. Uh, Uversion app is a is a great uh, a great free app that's out there that has multiple translations of the Bible, and if you have no, no other languages, it even has other languages on there as, as well. Uh, and um, in the Bible as well. So it's a great, it's a great uh, thing to, to read as well. So wherever it is, uh, turn to 2 Kings chapter 4. We're going to look at that in just a minute. But before we get there, I just want to share some things. First of all, I think we've established in this series so far this, the, a couple of things, that the path to greater things that God has for your life is not a smooth journey. Just when you become a follower of Christ, it doesn't mean that everything's going to be perfect in your life from, from the, for the next, you know, whatever long you live on this earth. The reason for that is because we live upon a broken world, a world where sin is still evident—not only sin in other people's lives, but sin still in our lives. Because the reality is, is when we become a believer, believe us or not, that God understands and knows that we'll still have sin. We will not be perfect people. But when we accept Christ, what happens is in our life if He forgives us, and when we accept Him into our lives and make Him Lord and Savior of our lives—which is not, you know, not just saying yes, but making Him Lord and Savior of our life—it affects us in multiple ways. And one of those ways is something that only God can do, and is that He can forgive our our sins, not only the past sins we've had, but our present sins and our future sins. And that's hard for us to imagine that God would do that for us, because we think we have to earn everything our way, and that's not what it's about. The greater life that God has for us is a life that's lived in the God's presence and according to God's plan. And there's an avalanche of scripture passages that reveal the way God uh, honors obedience in some ways. So the greater path really is a better way, but it's not necessarily the easiest way at all times. And that's one of the things I want to say to you up front, because sometimes you'll hear sermons like, well, if you accept Christ, your life will be easier. Some ways, yes. Some ways, no. But it'll always be better. And so we're going to talk about that. Now, this morning, what I want to do is I want to connect last week's message with this week's message, because they do connect in some ways. In in 2 Kings chapter 4, uh, in the original language, the, the Old Testament was written in Hebrew, the New Testament was written in Greek. And if you look at the construct, you can't see this from the English translation, but if you look at the construct, the Hebrew construct that's in chapter, uh, chapter 4 of 2 Kings, uh, there, there is an interesting conjunction uh, that connects the previous verses, verses 1 through 7, which we talked about last week, with a um, with passage we're going to be looking at today with verses 8 through 37. And, and, if, and, and then in the English translation, you look like, well, there's a story and then there's another story but actually there's a connection there in some ways. Last week we read about a desperate woman who was about to lose everything and hoped that God had something greater for her. And if you weren't here last week and you missed that story you can go back to our web uh, to our webpage and you can actually listen to that download it whatever the messages all the messages are there for the last I don't know 2 years or whatever. And you can can listen to that. But that story is about a desperate woman who is about to lose everything and hope that God had something greater for her life. Today's scripture, though, is about a well-to-do woman. That's what she's called in our translation here. And and a woman who thought she had everything, she had had no needs, but for whom God had greater plans. Kind of contrasting things here in scripture. But the thing that ties them together is this. Whether you're desperate and have a need in your life that that you can't meet, and you hope that God has greater plans, or a person who thinks he had everything that you ever would need, God still has greater plans for you as well, even if you don't know it. And the story today is very obvious in regards to that. So whether you're the well-to-do woman or the more like the desperate woman, either way, God has greater things for your life. You just need to believe in faith that this this is not all there is that you look at today. It made me realize something, uh, you know, because scripture in a sense, and sometimes we don't see this, but scripture in a sense is cohesive. It means it's tied together. It's not like a bunch of disparate stories all over the place that has different meanings because there is a consistent theme throughout scripture. And one of the places I thought about that in regard to this story today, and also other places in scripture, is something that I've read years ago and became alive to me in a sense when I went to to, to Israel, and, uh, and it's a passage that's in Luke Mark and Matthew but in Luke chapter 18 verse 29 uh there was this there's this passage and and sometimes I'm wondering what does it mean and it says this indeed it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God And that's really a strange passage in regard to the English language. We don't understand it. And I've had all kinds of explanations. But when I went to to Israel recently and we we were there, uh, there was one place we went to. And go ahead and pop up the next slide there. The the next one is this. And this is not the great, this must have been a picture I took uh, because uh, it's a horrible picture. Or maybe it's this. Anyway, uh, my wife takes good pictures. And so if if it's a good picture, you'll see a bunch of pictures and a bunch of stories during the Scripture Life series but this is a picture that I must have taken on my iPhone because it's bad because I'm a horrible photographer. I can make even iPhone pictures look bad, Um, whatever. But this is a picture of a door. I know you can't, well, you kind of tell it, but really this is the picture of a door in a door because the big thing there that's rusty all over uh, both sides, it's it's actually a door that's about 12 feet tall and and it's huge and it's called a camel door. Okay. It's called a camel door. It is on the side of this kind of fortress-like place there in Israel. And a camel door was like, in the, as people were coming to the, 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 through the city walls or whatever, they had these big giant doors. Because camels, I don't know, anybody have a camel? I don't think so. But if you've been around camels, camels are big. They're big. Uh, there was a lot of camels in Israel. You know, you could get a camel ride. You know, I didn't do that, but you could pay for a camel ride if you wanted to. But a camel's a really tall animal. And so to get through a door, you had to have a really big door. And so they had these doors called camel doors. But all the time, sometimes they didn't want the camels to get in. They just wanted people to get in. So they had this other little door in the middle of the camel door. And you can't tell by this picture once again because it's not a really great picture. I'm sorry. But the reality is this door is actually, it doesn't go all the way to the ground. It's actually about 18 inches off the ground. And this door is only about four feet tall, this door in the middle. And you know what this door is called? let me tell you what it's used for. If you don't have a camel come in, if people want to come in, they open the door, and you've got to come in. So you've got to step over this threshold, and you've got to duck down to get in. It's called the needle's eye. That's the kind of doors they have there in a lot of places. So camel door, needle's eye. Hmm. The reality is is that this door was the one. So, you, you know, it was impossible in a sense for a camel to go through the needle's eye. Because camels, even though they're real tall, they they're they're they they can not only bend down so far. And if they do, they can actually camels can do a cool thing. They can get on their knees. They got like giant knee pads built in, you know? They can get on their knees and they can kind of scoot along. I saw it happen. But the thing is, is they can't they can't step over step so far unless they're standing up, and if they're standing up, they're too tall to go through this little door. So it's and they're literally impossible to them to go through this door. And so the, the picture here in scripture though is this. And it's not saying that it's impossible. It's impossible that a rich person can go to heaven. But it's saying it's very improbable. And the reason is not because of the wealth. It's because of what the wealth represents. It's the same thing in this story today with this lady we're going to be talking about, this well-to-do lady. She will see, in a sense, that she thought she had no needs. But God had something greater for her in her life. Greater for her in her life. And she wasn't even aware of it. See, that's the problem with wealth and affluence. And that's what Jesus is talking about in Luke, in, in Luke eighteen twenty five. He's saying it's not like, it just makes you unaware of your needs because you think you have everything you need. Now, most of us will go home this afternoon and we all, I'd say most of us live indoors, especially in Illinois. And we eat and we have a, probably have a garage. And those of us who keep our garages empty, we actually put our cars in the garage. Some of you don't do that, you know, it's just a storage place for all more junk, you know? But you do that, you have all this stuff and you think you're not wealthy, but you're wealthy. I've told you this many, many times. If, if you come, if almost all Americans are hugely wealthy compared to the rest of the world, even those who think we're not, we're wealthy. And the reality is, is that God is saying to us that one of the problems we have, and this is passage today, will point this out, is when we think we have all we need, we think that's all there is. That God doesn't have anything more for us. That God doesn't have anything greater for us. But we will find out something else today as we study this passage. So I'll say all that to set this up today. And let's, let's turn in our Bibles into 2 Kings 4 and begin to read with verse 8. And I'm going to read it in sections because it's a lot of scripture. And then we'll comment on different sections here and talk about what it means for us. 2 Kings chapter 4, verse 8. One day Elisha went to Shunem, and a well-to-do woman was there. Uh, some translations call her uh, wealthy and influential. And say, this well-to-do woman was there and who urged him, urged Elisha to stay for a meal. It must have been a good meal because it says, so whenever he he went by there, he stopped there to eat. I don't know about you guys, but if somebody invites me over and and they're horrible cooks, I usually just politely say no the next time. But if you're a good cook, man, I'll ask myself over. (laughs) So the deal is, the deal is, is that's what he, just must have been a good cook. Said, she said to her husband, this lady says to her husband, I know that this man who often comes our way is a holy man of God. Well, so let's do something. Let's make a small room on the roof and put in a bed and a table and a chair and a lamp for him. Then he can stay there whenever he comes to us. I mean, she was so impressed with this holy man from God as she invited to dinner. That she says he's going to be by here. He's kind of this itinerant preacher. He's going around and prophesying in different places, teaching in different places. He's going to be by here because this is one of his hangout places here in this community where we live in Shunem. And And as he comes here, why don't we do something special for him? We're wealthy. We could put him up at the Shunem Sheridan. But let's do something even better. Let's make his own little room. I mean, how many people do you make a special room for at your house just to show up every once in a while? Probably not too many. Maybe your kids, if you like them. You know? Maybe your parents. But other than that, it's not going to be many people that you make a special room for at your house to show up every once in a while. But they did it for Elisha. Then in verse 11, it says, One day when Elisha came, he went up to his room, and he lay down there. And he said to his servant Gehazi, call the Shunammite. So he called her and she stood before him. Elisha said to him, to a servant, tell her you have gone to all this trouble for us. Now what can we do? What can be done for you? Can we speak on your behalf to the king or the commander of the army? This makes us understand that in a sense that Elisha at this point in his ministry had the ear of the king and the commander of the army. He wasn't just like going to go, you know, I'm so, no, so-and-so. No, he knew who these guys were, and he was going to go and speak for her. He said, can I do that for you? But she replied, I have a home among my own people, basically saying, translated, I have everything I need. I don't need anything else. Thank you. Thank you, Elisha, for the thought. But I really don't need anything else. Now, on the surface, on the surface, she, she would seem like she didn't anything, and she wasn't seeking anything from God, even as she served him and was a follower, it seemed to be, because she felt, felt everything was, was fine in her own life. But the reality is this, folks, and this is, this is where the point comes in today, and I think we, many more of us probably relate to this woman than we might have related to the lady last week because maybe some of you are not desperate. Some of you may be in your life, you're coming to a, you're in a hard place financially you're in a far hard place with with relationships you're a hard place with with some area of your life and, and you feel desperate but the majority of us are not there today we might get there someday but we're not there today but for the majority of us though we may be more like the Shunammite woman because the Shunammite woman was a person who had influence and she had and she had enough wealth to where it made it comfortable and because of that she didn't seek God for anything else. She thought this was all there is. Stephen Furtick in the book I referred to called Greater, which gave me the idea for this series, um, he's a pastor in Charlotte, North Carolina. And the thing he says there, he says that the kind of, we kind of settle in life, and he calls it the lesser loser life. I thought that was a great term. The lesser loser life. He said, we kind of settle for stuff, thinking this is all there is. I mean, yeah, I'm comfortable. I have some stuff, you know. I'm not, you know, my kids aren't going crazy. Everybody looks at me and they they think everything's together. But the thing is, he says, God has something greater in store for us. And so often when we are affluent, uh, the thing is, uh, we really don't understand that there's probably something greater than we have right now. So the, the first point is this. The first point is this today, and I have three points on your outline. You can fill in little blanks and if you want to or whatever. Greater things are stirring in the mind and heart of God for you. Greater things, regardless of your situation, regardless of whether you're desperate or whether you're a person of influence and think everything's together. God has more for you than you can even imagine. Not necessarily stuff, but a greater purpose, greater plans. He wants to use you in ways that would... Glorify him in ways you can't even imagine. So often what we think, and some of us, and I've heard this many times, we think that God is out to get us. He's like the police guy who's kind of looking over your shoulder trying to catch you doing something so he can, so he can kind of smack your hand or, or do something in, in your life. But that's not, I think that the Bible shows us more often that God is more often scheming of ways to bless us and to grow us because he has something greater in store for us. Let's, let's read a little further in the passage. Verse 14. So, so after, after uh, Gehazi comes and talks to the lady, she says, I really don't need anything. This is what uh, verse 14 says. What can be done for her, Elisha asked? He wasn't going to give up. He's saying, God has something greater for her. What, let's, what is it? She doesn't recognize it, so what is it? Gehazi said, he must be very uh, insightful as a servant, even though he's a scoundrel, we'll find out later. Uh, Gehazi says, she has no son, and her husband is old. What does that mean? Well, it probably means she's older, she has no uh, inability to bear children, and her husband's shooting blanks. I'll stop there for a moment and let you pause and think about that. The purpose of that was to see if you're awake. If you grinned or laughed, or if you didn't do anything, you're probably asleep. So I mean, you know, people don't easily say that. Anyway, okay. But probably that's what it means. It's not work things aren't working well. And so so he says, Well, she's they, they don't have any kids. She has no son, and they're old. Then Elisha said, Call her. So Gehazi goes and he calls her, and she stood in the doorway. And he and Elisha says this remember, remember. The Shunammite woman never asked for anything, right? But Elisha says, verse 16: About this time next year, Elisha said. You will hold a son in your arms. I took a survey amongst several women and asked them if they told you that, if God told you that, would that be good news or bad news? Based on the age of the ladies and the stage of life they were in, that was good news or bad news. It's kind of both, right? Well, obviously, we know what kind of news it was to this lady because her response in, ver- in, the, in the next part of the verse, the last part of verse 16 is this, no, my Lord. You'd think she'd at least be a little bit thankful. You know, she probably had wanted a child. But the thing is, she says, no, my Lord. She says, please, man of God, don't mislead your servant. She, it, it probably her it had been this. she'd probably wanted a child and tried to have a child for all these years and And never had one. She thought it was way past time to be able to have a possibility of that. And so what was happening was was she was going like, hey, I've given up hope. There is no earthly hope that this could happen. So don't, don't tease me. Don't tease me. Verse 17, but the woman became pregnant. And the next year, about that same time, she gave birth to a son, just as Elijah had told her. See, Gehazi, Elisha's servant, was aware of her need, brought light of it, and when, he, when Elisha shared that with her and asked God to do this, it was because she had a greater need than, than, than even she realized. And so this is the second point. God overrules our objections sometimes in favor of his greater, greater purposes. God overrules our objections sometimes in favor of his greater purposes. I cannot tell you how often it happens in life, how how short-sighted that we are, I am, you are, in regards to your life and thinking that God can do anything else in your life. And so sometimes God just simply says, hey, I'm going to do this in your life. You didn't ask for it, but it's part of my plan and my purpose. I mean, I'm talking about people who are followers of Christ, people who are seeking after him, but you haven't sought for anything else and just kind of being comfortable and complacent and kind of hanging out where you are, the lesser loser life. So she she likely objected to this promise in response to the pattern of rejection she had already experienced in this area of her life. But God ultimately delivered on the promise he made through Elisha and blessed her with a child. See, the the, the point is this, in a sense. No matter your disappointments, your failures, or your rejections, when Jesus died upon a cross, he didn't die upon a cross just to get us into heaven. He died upon a cross so that we would have a greater life that starts the day you, you accept him and follow him. And that greater life is not something you can plan everything for. You don't know. I don't know. I did not know when I said yes to Jesus Christ at 14 years old what God would do in my life. And sometimes I didn't even plan it, but God put its things in motion anyway. If you'd have known me when I was 14, if you'd have known me when I was 20, you would would say this, no way, God, is he ever going to be preaching in a church and talking to people every week. No way. Because back then, at when I was 20, I was, you know, in a community college. I was going to be an architect. I was, I was doing that. I was quiet. I never spoke. I had three sisters. That tells you everything. And uh, really, you can ask any of them. I never spoke. They thought I was mute for a long... No, they didn't really think I was that bad. But, the, you know, but I really didn't. I was quiet. The quiet, shy guy. So my, my wife calls me back then. She said I was... I fooled her. But anyway, um, that's when we met. Uh, but the thing is, you know, there's no way. But God had greater plans, And sometimes it wasn't because I said yes to those plans. Sometimes it was simply God put in motion some things because he had a greater purpose and he wanted me to move forward in those plans. Sometimes God overrules our objections in favor of his greater purpose. Now, let me say this. If this story was a fairy tale, it would end right there, right? The lady had a son and she lived happily ever after, right? That's the way fairy tales are. But this is the Bible, okay? It's not a fairy tale. This is about truth. And God speaks the truth that the life that he calls us to is not always this smooth, just perfect, never any bumps in the road life. So let's read further because there is more. Verse 18, the child grew, this little child of promise grew. And one day he went out to his father who was not with the reapers. We don't know how old he was here. The, child, the word child in Hebrew probably means a, a, you know, a child in, at least in you know five, six years old, up maybe a little bit. There is some specific words there. We don't know exactly how old he was. He said to his father, my head, my head. His father told his servant, carry him to his mother. And after the servant had lifted him up and carried him to his mother, the boy sat on her lap until noon. And then he died. You're going like, that by, That story should not be in Scripture because that's not a good story, right? Because, you know, God had promised this lady uh, uh, through Elisha, the baby, the baby had been born. You know, she didn't think she was going to have it. And then the baby, the little boy dies. How does the mother react? Verse 21, so she went up and laid him on the bed of the man of God. What room? In Elisha's room. She goes up and lays him lot—not his bed in Elisha's room. Then she shut the door and she went out. She didn't plan a funeral. She didn't do any of those things. She, just did, she responded kind of in a bizarre way here, but we'll understand it a little bit more later. Verse 22. This is really strange. She called her husband and said the boy is No, she didn't say the boy is dead. She didn't tell him anything. She says this, Please send me one of the servants and a donkey so I can go to the man of God quickly and return. And obviously she didn't tell her husband because he said, why go to him today? It's not the new moon or the Sabbath. That's when you usually go to the prophets so you can you know, offer sacrifices. This is not the time you do that. That's, and then she, said, then she says this, well, that's all right. Everything's all right. So she saddled the donkey and said to her servant, lead on and don't slow down for me unless I tell you. Verse 25, so she set out and came to the man of God, Elisha, at Mount Carmel. And when he saw her in the distance, the man of God said to his servant Gehazi, look, there's the Shunammite. Run to meet her and ask her some questions. Are you all right? Is your husband all right? Is your child all right? And what did she say to Gehazi, the servant? It does say what it says up there. Yeah, That's what's in the Bible, okay? I didn't make this up. She said, everything's all right. Was everything all right? Was she in denial? Did she have a problem? Did she have a psychological breakdown? Obviously not here because we read the rest of Scripture. It didn't seem to be in denial in any way. She was, but she, she, was, she responded that way. Because she really didn't want to talk to Gehazi. She was more interested. She didn't want to talk to her husband. She wanted to go talk to the man of God. Because he was the guy that got her in this mess. Remember? I mean, he wasn't the father of the child. But he was the one that told her, you're going to have a child. And then she said, no, but the child came anyway. Verse 27, when she reached the man of God at the mountain, she took hold of his feet. Gehazi, as she was finally showing some anguish, Kahazi came over to push her away, but the man of the God said, leave her alone. She is in bitter distress, but the Lord has hidden it from me and has not told me why. He's going like, this lady, something's going on here. And, and obviously, in this, the Bible doesn't always tell us everything about everything, but it tells us enough here to know that at that point, she must have told him my son is dead because of the next response. verse 28. She says this to him, and I'm wondering if she said this to him in accusatory terms. Did I ask you for a son, my Lord? Really? You know, I didn't even ask for the son, and you brought a son. And so it's just, didn't I tell you, don't raise my hopes? I'm thinking that's how she said it. That's not very respectful to this prophet, but it's how she feels. So Elisha tries to come up with a plan. Now Elisha at this point in his ministry, he'd already, he'd already dealt with some really, we've already read some stories and everything that we've read so far is up to this point, it already happened. He'd already been a part of multitudes of miracles, but not a miracle of this magnitude, okay? I mean, yeah, he'd, 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 uh, he'd burned some plows a couple weeks, three weeks ago, committed himself fully to God. And then he, then some, then he I had some guys dig some ditches and he told God was going to fill them up with water and God filled them up with water overnight without any rain. That was a cool, that was a cool trick. And then last week we talked about and then what he did is, he, is he, uh, he took this lady who had nothing, this desperate lady we talked about last week, and she had some oil, just a little bit of oil in one container, this olive oil, and she had nothing else. And he said, go and gather all the jars you can find, empty jars, and bring them to me. I bring them to your house and then pour from that jar into the other jars, the little jar you have. And it filled up all those jars. Incredible miracle of multiplication there. He had done all this, but he had never done and he'd, have, he'd even seen his, his mentor, Elijah, raise somebody from the dead. 1 Kings 17, if you want to read about that. Not now, later. But the deal is, he'd never done it himself. So often we think in Scripture that these prophets were guys who had all the answers. But you know that they were people, everybody in Scripture who followed God was just like us. There were people who lived day to day, and if they trusted God one day and one step at a time, the issue is that God said, trust me today, and I'll give you the plan. Trust me today, and I'll give you the plan. He gave them step. That's why we say at Great Oaks, our purpose here at Great Oaks is to help people take their next step towards God. All of us have a next step. All of us have a next step. But God wants us to take us one step at a time. He doesn't give us the big plan, the big purpose at the end of the road he says take one step and so that's where that's where Elisha was God, Elisha Elisha done all these things in God's power but Elisha so Elisha turns to says to Gehazi his servant tuck your cloak into your belt because you're about to run take my staff in your hand and run don't greet anyone you meet and if anyone greets you don't answer just ignore everybody because I'm sending you on a pl- purpose lay my staff on the boy's face now as we learn in a minute that really didn't work Here, like I said, Elisha at this point was a rookie in regard to raising people from the dead. He didn't know anything about how to do it. So he thought, well, I remember Moses had a staff, you know, one of my forefathers and Moses had his staff. And what did Moses do with his staff? Man, he did some incredible stuff, man. He parted the Red Sea. He turned turned the the, the Nile River into blood. He did all these incredible things. He turned it into a snake. I mean, God did all kind of crazy things with the staff. So let's try the staff trick. I don't know if he said it that way, but I think that's kind of what he did. He said, go lay my staff on the boy's face, verse 30. But the child's mother said, I love her response. This lady was not only well-to-do and wealthy, but she was forward. Because she says, She says, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you, Elisha. She goes like, I'm not putting up with second teamers. I want the big guy. You come with me and do what only you can do because God has blessed you, not Gehazi. So what does he do? He says, yes, ma'am. And he gets up and he followed her. And it says, Gehazi went, but anyway, he said, well, let's, let's try the staff trick anyway. Gehazi went on ahead and laid the staff on the boy's face, but there was no sound or response. So Gehazi went back to meet Elisha, which the woman was with him to, and told him, the boy has not awakened. And I wonder if the woman said, I told you so. Maybe not. Verse 32, when Elisha reached the house there, there was the boy lying dead on his couch? Whose couch? Elisha's couch. This is what I want to say that comes out of those verses before we go to finish up the verses here. The road to greater things is never neat. So often we get hung up that we go through a bump in the road, and things don't work out the way we planned or hoped for. The business we start doesn't work. The job that we think is the best in the world is not the best in the world. The relationship that we have with somebody just doesn't work out. We go through some ups and downs in life, and we we think that that means that God is not we're not God's not working. But that's not true in Scripture because in Scripture consistently we see that people who follow God closely still had ups and downs in their life. But the reality is that God teaches us more in the back downs than he does in the ups. Is that true? I found it to be incredibly true. I learn a lot more from the bad stuff than the good stuff. It sticks with me a lot longer. <laughs> and probably with you as well. We don't look for the bad stuff, but, you know, but it's sometimes that's part of the deal. So don't think that God's not at work in your life just because things aren't working as quickly as you'd they they would. And the Shunammite woman, probably after her son was born and after she got over the initial shock of him saying, yeah, you're going to have a son, and the son was born, and she going, oh, no, it can't happen, and then she had it. She was probably on a spiritual high, especially as the miracle child started to grow. But then it all came crashing down when her son died. But the interesting thing about this story is the Shunammite woman didn't waste her time grieving over an unfulfilled promise from God here. She said, God, you brought this child into my life for some reason and I don't think you're done yet. That was what her attitude was in a sense here. I don't know if she really even thought that Elisha could bring him back to life. But she knew there was something was going to happen. So she immediately appealed to his higher authority, to God's higher authority. Verse 33, verse 33, last portion of scripture. He went in, who's he? Elisha went in. He shut the door on the two of them, him and the dead child, and prayed to the Lord. <laughs> I think I'll be praying to the Lord, too, if I'd never done this before didn't know what to do. You know, he's going like, God, I've never healed, I've never raised anybody from the dead. Every time you've done something through me, it's only because you kind of did it. You just used me as a conduit. So what do you want me to do now, God? Please, show. And so he shuts the door so nobody will see him. It says, then he does this. Then he got on the bed and he lay on the boy, mouth to mouth, eyes to eyes, hands to hands. That's just weird. If you happen to come over for prayer and did that, wouldn't you think that's weird? <laughs> kinky and weird, you know. Don't, ever th- no, no. But he was a dead child, but still, okay. But something happened when he did that. As he, as he stretched himself out on him, the boy's body grew warm. Didn't come back to life right away, but it started getting warm. Verse 35 Then Elisha turned away. He walked back and forth in the room. He's pacing because it's not working. He's getting warm, but he's not there yet, God. He's not back to life. (laughs) And then he got on the bed, uh, it says, and stretched out once more, did the same deal, mouth to mouth, eyes to eyes, hands to hands. And at this point, the boy sneezed seven times. What's the deal with seven? If you know scripture and if you understand this, there's a lot of what they call numerology in scripture. Numbers are important. And one of the most important numbers in all of scripture is what? Seven. It's a symbol of completion or perfection. Basically meaning this is is what it takes. This two times is all it takes. He sneezed seven times and he opened his eyes. Verse 36. Elisha summoned Gehazi and said, call the Shunammite. And he did. And when she came in, he said, take your son. She came in, fell at his feet, bowed to the ground, Speechless, I guess. Then she took his, her son and went out. End of story. You're going like, really? That's as dramatic? Well, that's pretty dramatic, I think. Now, if, the, if at the end of this sermon you have more questions than you have answers, you're probably more honest than a lot of scholars who try to study this and try to make, try to make up answers to everything. But I can tell you there's a couple of things about this passage that's incredibly clear to me. Number one, it's that the, the road to greater things is not marked by easy answers. But the one thing for sure that we can see is even when all hope seems to be gone, God has more in store. And he has more in store for you. His plan is greater than anything you could imagine or plan for yourself. Because he's God. I don't know if you watched... No, a lot of TV. We don't watch a lot of TV. We, we, we actually don't have cable anymore. We just use Netflix and YouTube. Oh, not YouTube. What do we use? Uh, Hulu or something like that, and watch some shows occasionally. But one of the things we did watch this year uh, we like was uh, 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 The Voice. Anybody watch The Voice? Anybody watch The Voice? If you didn't, it's much better than American Idol, by the way, okay? It's just my opinion, but it means a lot. But the deal is, <laughs> better voices. Uh, the thing is, this past year, um, as we were watching The Voice, usually you know, when everybody watches The Voice, gets a favorite. They 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 start picking and choosing early on, and then they root for them all season. Mine won this year. <laughs> it was a young man, 22 year old from Harlan, Kentucky. His name was Jordan Smith. And I loved, not only can Jordan sing, the dude has vocal range that only 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 small birds can hear the upper range of his vocal range. I mean, the guy is incredible. It is incredible. But what I loved about him is not only that, but he was a spirit. He is he is a committed, dedicated follower of Christ. If you go to his Facebook page and you look it up, you know he as, as his description. He says singer, Mer- winner of American Idol, committed follower of Christ, right on his fr- front page, and it, millions of people have seen that. It was cool the other day. I was I sometimes do this uh, when I'm at home and. I love music, and so sometimes I 'll go in and look up stuff and I was trying to, I did a Google search and, uh, for, for Jordan Smith and saw if he had any videos, or any songs he'd done since American Idol or anything. but I came across a video on YouTube, and it was of all things, it was an interview he did at Saddleback Church, Rick Warren's church, with Rick Warren recently, or just sometime this year after he won American Idol, and I watched the interview for about oh 10 minutes or so, and I was just amazed at the, at the maturity. And, and the depth of this young man because this is a guy that has incredible talent, but he, 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 he just really doesn't have, didn't have a lot of confidence. And, and Rick Warren was asking him, how did you, how did you deal with the, with the struggles that you had in life, uh, the struggles that people said you can't do this? And I thought his, his answer was perfect. He goes, you know, I couldn't do it because I realized that I'm not good enough But it doesn't matter because I don't have to be good enough because God is good enough. And I just trust God every day to allow me to get on stage in front of millions of people on a high stage and sing and let him hopefully get the glory for what happens. And then he said this, and I I put this as one of those things I'm going to put on my screensaver as something because this says everything about what we're talking about about the greater life. He said this. Where I end is where God begins. Where I end is where God begins. Think about that. All your plans, all your affluence, everything is nothing compared to what God can do in and through you if you'll trust him. So, where are you? Are you like the lady we talked about last week who was desperate? God has greater plans for your life. You may not see him right now, but he does. So, trust him day to day, minute by minute. Do do what you got to do dig some ditches, gather some jars. If you don't know what I'm talking about, go back and listen to the rest of the series. Uh, Burn some plows. Do your part, and then when you get to the end of your part, then trust trust God to do things that you can't even possibly imagine in your life, because He wants to. We see that time and time and time again in Scripture. And if you're a person who's here today and you think you have no needs because everything's comfortable in your life, let me tell you, that's not all there is. If, that's, if, if all you can think of is what you can think of, and you can't think of anything bigger than that, or you can't allow God to do something more than that, you're living the lesser loser life. And that's not what God wants you to have. So, I pray this morning that you and I both, all of us together, would seek God and say, God, where, where I end is where you begin. And we would do the things that he wants us to do. We would not just sit around on our hands and wait for him to do something, but we would be involved in what he's showing us to do. And as we, he, as we do those things, God would begin to work in our life in ways that we cannot possibly even imagine. Because that's the kind of God we have. The God who loves us that much. Let's pray. God, we thank you this morning for your incredible love. We pray that you would just enable us this morning, God, to understand fully what it is that you have in store for us in our lives. We pray that you would allow us, God, in a real sense to to not be satisfied with the life where we are, but let us have a holy dissatisfaction that leads us to come and say, "God, God, I'll do what you tell me to do. I'll go where you want me to go. I'll use the gifts and abilities and the experiences and all the things that you've done in my life, God, to bring you glory. And then, God, I'll, then I'll watch God and, and, and expect God you to do things in my life that I can't even think about right now, because I have this perspective that's so earthly and so and so finite. But God, you want to do infinitely more in our lives than we can even hope or imagine. And the only way that can get done, God, is for us to trust in a God who is greater than us. That's the only way that we can live the greater life that you have in store for us. Guide us this week, God, that each day we will take a step of faith in regards to you. That we'll do the things that we know you call us to do and then leave the results up to you that we won't sit around and fret and worry about things in life that we have no control over. But God, you who made the universe and made everything in the universe and made us, God, you you can do anything. And as we learned last week, you can take a, a little and turn it into a lot. That's the kind of God you are. So help us to trust you, God to trust you for the life that's greater. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.